Welcome to Talking Tourism. This is our Tourism Champion Tales series. We showcase some amazing tourism champions who've made their mark on the tourism industry. Be inspired, awed and intrigued at their stories. And now, on to today's show. This is Talking Tourism and I'm Rachel Williams, your host for today's podcast. Now, every fortnight, the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, which is, of course, the peak body for tourism operators in Tasmania, is bringing you conversations with some of the brightest minds in the tourism industry. And today I'm lucky to be joined by one of the doyens of the brewing tourism industry, Howard Cairns, the founder of Little Creatures. Unfortunately, he's arrived with no beer in hand for me, so I don't know how much fun we'll have during this chat, but I'm sure we'll try. Welcome, Howard. Thanks, Rachel. Now, you've been in Tassie for a few days, enjoying some sights and sounds of our beautiful wilderness. Yeah, courtesy of uh, t- Tourism Tasmania, just um, a couple of days in Hobart, a couple of days at Pump House Point, and now a couple of days in Launceston and heaps in between. Yeah, you're certainly uh, fitting a lot into your schedule in the beautiful state of of Tassie. Now, Scott, such an interesting story, and I I suppose the only place to start is right back at the beginning. Um, You did a a Bachelor of Business. Um, Tell me what you learnt during your time at uni. Uh, Well, before that, I was in anthropology, um, so which was really about playing frisbee and pinball. (laughs) So somehow end up discovering the idea of marketing and saw a Bachelor of Business degree at a different university and off I went. So, um, yeah, no, it was it was early days of marketing, so not many people knew what it was all about um, and um, not sure a lot of people still do. But We all just plot along, they pretend along we do. pretend we know, do, that's right. Now, everyone loves, well, most people like talking about beer, so I'd suggest that a fair bit of this conversation's got to do with that. Uh, 21 years ago. You started Little Creatures Brewery. Does it seem that long ago? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, I guess just to probably go back a little bit more is um, I came back from London being in the food business in, I think, 88, and there was a brewery in Perth called Matilda Bay Brewery which sort of started the whole first wave behind a guy called Phil Sexton. So I fell into a marketing job uh, in the executive team there and – Worked there for a few years, amazing company, just kind of made it up as, as they went along. Um, that was Redback Beer at the time. Um, they did hospitality, they did pubs, they did breweries, they uh, they did amazing beers. Um, so that was a great learning ground. They then got taken over by Foster's, so I had a bit of time in the, the big end of town um, and then back with Lion Nathan and Swan Brewery in Western Australia and then into Little Creatures. So it was kind of a beer journey with a bunch of guys back from the Matilda Bay days. and Lots of was, tasting on the journey, I'm lo- sure. Lots of tasting on the journey, different sorts of beers, but different cultures as well. What do you like about beer so much? Oh, I think back in the day I was I was a kind of an unsophisticated West Australian playing footy and cricket and doing all sporty things and didn't know much about food and beverage. Um, so I just drank whatever beer was like most people growing up, I guess, in sports clubs, you know. Was, so you learnt was, on your trips to the UK what not to drink then? Uh, yeah, well, just- I, I guess I was still a lager lout in the UK, <laughs> you know. Again, I ignored all those wonderful ales that I know now now know about. And it wasn't until I kind of came back and got educated through the Matilda Bay years that I sort of started to clean my act up and take an interest in, you know, all things beer. And it, 
I hate the phrase, you know, being ahead of your time, but Matilda Bay and, and then obviously little creatures that you helped start, you were the first of their kind, of that really boutique lager development. Yeah, Matilda Bay was ahead of its time. There were a couple of others around at the time. I mean, Hahn was just starting up, but he was kind of doing more in the lager space. Matilda Bay was really the one that was playing with ales and knew a lot about what was going on in Europe in the traditional ale space and England. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great learning ground. Okay, the, the pale ale. Yeah. That's yeah, but Matilda Bay one, was probably it? too far ahead of its time and, and, and it kind of dressed itself up a bit, I think, and almost became some of its branding and its positioning was a bit fashionable. Um, so, and I think when the recession came in the early 90s, it was a casualty. It would grow on too fast, etc. cetera. Um, so when we came to do Little Creatures, which was, what, about maybe 10, 15 years later, we decided that, and in America, the craft beer movement was had taken off. So there was a lot of things like Sierra Nevada and breweries in Oregon that we were referencing and we were travelling there, seeing what was going on. And that whole pale ale IPA space using whole hops. I always bore people with hops because at the time <laughs> in Australia, everybody used essentially freeze-dried hops, which is a bit like drinking Nescafe, freeze-dried yes. coffee. So now I guarantee you wake up in the morning and you want something made out of beans and with aromas and flavour and all that and probably don't go near Nescafe, do you? No, no I don't. You don't. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened in beer. I thought you were going to say, it, do you start the day with a beer? <laughs> that, well, yeah, as long as it's got the right aromas, et cetera. <laughs> but that's, kind of, that's what happened in beer. It happened in a lot of things. Um, suddenly people discovered flavour and aroma and uh, we could certainly see that going on in America which had a similar sort of lager culture to ourselves. So, yeah, Little Creatures Pale Ale was brave. Um, what was your expectation at the time? What? How did you know that you were going to be able to take the community of Australia on this beer journey with you? It, it's a really good question because the answer is you don't know. So, um, you know, I talk a lot about um, – differentiation and navigation. So I like to do things that people haven't done but also not to an extreme which isn't going to connect with people. Now, you can go and research the death out of ideas uh, but inevitably I find that research tells you what people already know or what they expect and it's in their realm of their reference realm, if you like. So something like Little Creatures is taking people somewhere out of their comfort zone. They don't know about it. Uh, but what we're trying to do is navigate the consumer and we're confident enough that we love this idea, we love this product. Um, I drank plenty of pints of that pale ale over in America <laughs> to convince myself that it actually was drinkable because a lot of people said it's got too much flavour, too much aroma, blah, blah, blah. So I, I think if you convince yourself enough and you've got good people around you, then I think it's enough to go and take the risk. And then if you get there... It's harder for people to copy. It's harder for people to catch up. Did you know at the time you were creating not just a beer but a brand? Oh, very much so. So, you, well, certainly that's my background, but also the brewing guy Phil, who was involved, and Nick Trimboli, who was an accountant, hospitality genius. Um, they were they were out. That's our team, really. But they have great creative judgment. They're great brand guys as well. Without the training I had, so. I kind of bought the, the processes and the thinking and the, the imagination and the dreaming, but they were fantastic sounding boards and, I guess, reality checks 
to what we were doing. And did you know at the time that tourism was going to be an imperative part of that business model for you? Like obviously the story is so amazing. You're, you're mm. based on the site of an old crocodile farm. Like that's a story that in itself is really amazing. No, we didn't. Uh, we, I, I remember the words Phil used is, was that, you know, we found this big shed and we were looking for something like that. Um, and we didn't want to put glass walls up between the brewery and the people. And the idea was that you could come and visit this brewery as a, but it, the word cellar door, so not pub or tavern or whatever. It was you were coming into a brewery and we didn't want, you know, there were going to be hot tanks and, you know, water spilling through hot backs and, hey, you might get burnt, you might get scalded if something got wrong or, you know, there was a packaging line making all this noise that meant you couldn't hear the person next to you speak. So there was this, yes, there was this massive space that people could come in and look and f- smell and feel and hear. Um, did we think it was going to end up with a million visitors a year and it was kind of like the third or fourth biggest tourism attraction in WA? So absolutely not. We, we Our numbers were like a tenth of that. So it just – yeah, and people – I guess is this is what was just um, – it became a pilgrimage as well for people out of state and, and West Australians got very proud to show it off. So anybody who came to town – Bang, they were taken down to little creatures. So, And would you think now a lot of – there's a lot of boutique breweries, you know, and a lot of them actually have this whole from um, paddock to plate experience, I suppose, where they're growing the hops on site and, and brewing it and, and selling it and consuming it all in the one spot. Yep. Do you like to think that some of that comes back from your initial concept of what you did to, to um, I mean, that's people going deeper, obviously, into the, the supply chain than what we did. But having said that, we were, you know, to, to make the beer that we made, we had to go and get our hops out of um, out of Oregon in the Pacific Northwest. So, and we had to bring them through quarantine areas in Fremantle because they weren't allowed; those hops weren't allowed to come in through other ports because it was it's a, re, a relative of cannabis. So there was all these Challenges. interpretations on. So I guess we we did a lot to to bring the right ingredients together. But if look, if somebody's got a hop farm and then they've got a brewery, that makes fantastic sense, I mean, to do all that. Would you still classify Little Creatures as a boutique? Brewery? I've never, we've never, in fact, even, even when we used to hate the word boutique um, because it's, it just sounds designery and of the moment, uh, the word craft replaced boutique almost. Um, so everybody talks craft now. But it's even hard, I think, in terms of like a lot of people now would talk about Little Creatures as being a big brewery and mainstream Well, that's what I want to speak about because obviously you didn't expect it to become so popular that you would be bought out by one of the global giants. Yeah, but it's still time. Even at our peak, which is probably where the likes of Stone and Wood are now, um, uh, different landscape, but, you know, there's there's, there's some breweries that are approaching where we were. Um, You're talking... 10 to 20 million litres and the bigger breweries, there's always the joke that they spill more more than that in a <laughs> week. So the whole scale size thing is a difficult um, tool to use to determine whether you're craft, whether you're independent, whether you're whatever. So even in, in our day when the word craft was starting to um, stick its head up, we tried, we tried with our staff, we're a brewery. We're a brewer. We make beer. So do the big guys. So do the really tiny guys. It 
then it's up to the consumers to how you interpret whether you like the independence or not. Because a lot of shareholding is invisible. So when you start to talk about independence, it gets murky as well. So, But, yeah, we, we got taken out by one of the big guys. And Did so. you have reservations of, of selling out, I suppose, that a lot of your loyal followers wouldn't have approved of that decision? Um, I think us selling out, didn't, don't like those words, but um, <laughs> it we we went through a time, a different time, I think, where it was hard work breaking down the barriers created by the big breweries and it was very competitive and we put our heart and soul into it. Um, having got to where we got to and then the offer came in um, to take us out, we kind of looked at each other and we hadn't been expecting it, but it was pretty amazing how a group of people by that stage there were probably four or five key shareholders that still controlled the business and we looked at each other and none of us really had kids that were going to take take over the business it wasn't a family business we were listed on the Australian Stock Exchange so we had a thousand shareholders that you know ultimately you can't control and we had Lion Nathan sitting on the register as well so it wasn't um it wasn't it was a business with a lot of heart and soul and, and I think what we thought most about was our staff and how they were going to react. And I think looking in the rearview mirror now, um, I think it's probably one of the few brands taken over by big guys that maybe still has that sense of family and team and whatever that was created. Um, and that or, must be a relief to you. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's theirs, so I can't control that. Um, me and my partners are very forward-looking people. We're off doing other things that we enjoy. So, Tell me a bit more then about the link between what is beer and tourism. You're, you've been on the board of um, Tourism WA, in fact, Deputy Chair still or have No, no, have been about yeah, a year and a half ago. I, I was on there for 11 years on the What did your board, beer yeah. business background bring to tourism and, and vice versa? So... My involvement, the request to go on the tourism board was very much about brand, um, not necessarily about tourism experiences. It was about um, the West Australian brand as a destination uh, was confused um, in the sense that West Australia's got a lot of different product that and a lot of different messaging from the Kimberley down to the southwest to beaches to deserts and all that and there was no one thing that stood out and they didn't really have a brand campaign and they didn't really know the concept of brand so um to a degree i'm and it's still a bit of a journey for wa i think we've made progress but i certainly wouldn't said we've cracked it um in fact i think there's some guy who's did the Tasmanian brand who's now working in WA to try and help. Oh, well, they'll have lots of success then. Yes, okay. well, you know, Tasmania is <laughs> a great blueprint. What What is in a name and what is in a brand? I, I noticed um, when you were, and again, going back to Little Creatures, but that came all about from you are reading The Hobbit at the time and you developed the little um, cherub around that. How important is that initial decision when you're doing a brand, whether it be for a small business or a, you know, a tourism organisation, to get it right and to make sure you can sell that story? I, I and my partners um, take naming really seriously and I, and I would suggest most business people in tourism or um, fast-moving consumer goods or whatever don't. So the idea of coming up with a name is often a whiteboard, a bottle of red wine and a few creative friends or an agency or whatever. In my view, when you do that, you inevitably end up where a lot of people already are because that's what everyone else is doing. 
So coming up with a name is, I think, really hard and there's no right or wrong to it. You can come up with a name that is descriptive um, of what your product is so that people un- immediately can kind of understand it from the name um, or you can be quite obscure and then guide people and navigate them and because they'll ask. And that's where I prefer to go. It's not doesn't mean it's always right and it's a harder thing to embed in people's minds. But once you do, you have that open space, that IP ownership that's far stronger. So Little Crow, I was, you know, lying awake at night trying to think of names and I did like the space of being small, tiny, little or whatever. So I was definitely thinking in that area and then just happened to be reading that book (laughs) and, you know, the little hobbits were going from pub to pub drinking ales and I think, I can't remember if, those two words, little creatures, are actually connected in the book or creatures, little, and ale and hobbits were all... Anyway, that, that, those words came to me. Next day I met with Phil and Nick and Phil looked at me and said, have you got a name yet? And I said, yep. And I said, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> and did he? He loved it. <laughs> so and Nick nodded. So we kind of had it. And then yeah. I guess somewhat deceptively we then said, well, we love this because it's small but we'd also sort of talked about the yeast being a live creature okay, yeah. which it is so yes. you know yeast is a living organism that does its magic in beer and then dies for the sake of it so and a good the, job the, it does the, the cherub was meant to represent that you know this magical little organism that does such wonderful wonderful things in beer and you've decided to take your beer journey to the uk you've got a business over there now so our head brewer uh, when Lyon Nathan bought us, did not want to work for a big multinational corporate, so he had an offer from Camden Town Brewery in the UK, which was just start, had been starting for two or three years, I think. Um, they were on a different journey in Camden in London, which was a, he he kind of saw that as fun, so he went and joined them. Three years later, four years later, they got taken out by Budweiser. So he's back to where he started. So that's when we got it's the It's almost phone. inevitable when you're successful, isn't Kinda, it? Kind of, yeah. And it wasn't his brewery. So, you know, he, he was a brewer with us and he was a brewer with them. And then he called us up and said, right, time I did my own brewery with his partner, Annie. And, but he, you know, he had all the amount of money he had to his name was not enough to do what he wanted to do. So he said, would you guys back me? And so pretty much, uh, the original founding partners stumped up some money and got a few others in, and so off he went. And he's three years in. It's called Lost and Grounded. And does that have a similar philosophy to Little Creatures in that it's not just about beer; it's about the experience. It's about no. It's the very food. much about the. He it's doesn't. He doesn't have a cellar door, so it's. Uh, but his his strategy, I think, around coming up with a beer that is very difficult to make and difficult to copy. It's in the Pilsner space. So he's doing a very unfiltered Bavarian Pilsner, which is really hard to make, okay. and they're liking it over there, so that's good. I'll have to have a taste at some stage. There are so many um, breweries, uh, wineries. Now you've got whiskey distilleries and, and yeah. gin, and, and I note that you've, you're doing a little bit of that yourself. Yeah, we started a distillery again, probably post-creatures. Myself um, and a couple of the partners, we – I think a lot of these sort of start-up businesses, particularly in the food and beverage craft, distilling beer side or whatever space, it's a bit of a young person's game. There's a high-energy, 
high sacrifice, I think, that you, know, you need to be on the case the whole time. It's like hospitality. Anybody in the hospitality business in a restaurant or pub will tell you that. You've got to be there to be successful. And um, So we were kind of going down different tracks in terms of time of life. Um, so our view was if we could find good people to back um, young people and be mentors and still be involved but not have to be there every day and do performance reviews every week and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's a long way of saying a couple of the creatures guys wanted to do a saw the craft distilling space taking off uh, specifically through a brand in England called Sipsmith. Um, and that's a great brand to go and have a look at their journey through tourism cellar door educational classes. They did a great job and probably one of the first real craft distillers in the world to get it right, I think. Um, so we saw what they were doing. These guys wanted to do it. So we, we bought a copper still out of Germany and away we went making gin and vodka and, so apart from hard work, how do you get it right? What's the uh, recipe? I, well, I think it's you've got, you know, I I think you've got to get a team. If you don't have all the skills yourself, which is pretty rare, you've got to make sure you've got those skills around you that are as good as you can get and then tick a lot of boxes to get it right. You know, the, the product's got to be right, the branding's got to be right. Lots um, of quality assurance. Yeah, and I always say um, you've got to have capital behind you. Anybody in most businesses will say make sure you're not undercapitalised because if you run out of money, that's it. Um, and businesses take a while to be profitable. So if you haven't got the capital to get yourself to profitability or be confident you can get it, uh, that's really important. And also margin, just, you know, I think um, wine's a, a really tough business because it's hard to get margin right. There's so many different factors and competitive – and distilling's a bit like that. Um, it's a tough cash flow business. It's, um, but yeah, it's about ticking all the boxes. Do you want to be a um, have a hospitality tourism side to it? There's a, f- there's a few. Would you that recommend do. that as an all encompassing businessman? <sighs> Look, I, again, I haven't spent much time in that space other than what we've done with those other guys. But um, you know, do you do you go? You go to a brewery and you, you, you have a few beers and it's it's kind of something that's easy to have with food and share with a group of friends at the table. So is wine. Um, spirits, you know, do you go and sit around a table and have three or four glasses of whiskey? Depends on what sort of day you're not had, driving <laughs> for sure. So um, I, I think it's a trickier one. It's a trickier one. So the distilleries that probably integrate beer and other beverages. Yep, probably could come up, but I'm probably, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Is there a, a critical mass? Is there a point where we'll reach peak production of these um, niche products that we can only drink so much? We can only- um, I hope that the big guys just keep getting fragmented by all the little businesses. Um, it, it's hard to see because what happened in the old days was all the, the big guys just kept on swallowing up small guys and we ended up with – and there was a stage in 1980 or something where was, I think America was down to 32 breweries. I mean, they're in the thousands now. So, but I think the world's moved on. Consumers are more sophisticated. They're keen to know where things come from, who owns them, all that. So it's hard to see it going backwards. So I think there's still a lot of room for small, good, independent people to you know, maybe it's going to be harder to get to a scale like a Creatures or a Stone of Wood or – but there's definitely space out there to get get your model right. 
What do you think? What do you think's next? We've obviously had the really big revitalization of the whiskey industry in, in Tasmania, in particular. I'll, I'll speak of, and, and we've you know mentioned gin and, and other spirits. What's next? Is there a trajectory that you think is we're on the? Um, don't know, Rachel. Um, I think um, it's probably just all of that in the same space but people coming up with different ways of looking at it, your example of hops and breweries or, you know, do people start building? I don't know if you know the um, the farm in Byron Bay or if you've been there. You know, that's another interesting idea where some guy's got a whole land holding and there's a it's like an artisan vi- village um, and it's – one of the busiest places in Australia. Just so it's almost like we have come full circle, isn't it? We've yeah, gone there's from- a restaurant there. There's I can't remember if there's a distillery there, but there's certainly um, you know people breeding pigs, people growing kale, and people want to see stuff. where their products are coming from. Yeah, and there's a florist there, and you know, and, I, and that works really well. So I think probably more of that. And so what's next for Howard Cairns? Uh, I just became a grandfather, so. You know, you're in that sandwich generation. So, again, I'm trying to – I joined the board of Fringe World in Perth, uh, similar to the – so Ed, we are third largest fringe behind Edinburgh and Adelaide and it's a very strong one, so I'm enjoying that. Uh, other than that, I think I'm just putting time into this English brewery at the moment because that's going very well. Other than that, touring Tasmania a lot more. And hopefully taste testing our product along the way. Yes, I called into so what did I, I went to Lark Distillery in Hobart. I went to Lorenny, I think it was called the Hobart Brewing Company. Um, yeah, I've been to Willie Smith's before down in. They're always great. Which is, I mean, that's a fantastic sort of uh, cider experience. So yeah. And they took a punt, didn't they? They said we're sick of the big boys selling stuff that's not quite. What yeah, it's they're all a good model. You know, I think you know, there's not. I think. There's great opportunity for, and here I am in Tasmania saying this, but we did a cider in Perth, probably one of the first craft ciders called Pipsweet. Um, but that was, you know, we tried to crush our own apples and do it all the way we think it should be done. But we weren't on an orchard and we weren't on a farm and we weren't, you know, Willie Smith type. Uh, I think if you're going to build cider brands, that's what you should be doing, you know, and there's not, there's still a lot of cider brands that I think aren't truly grounded. Um, and this is probably where they should be. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Howard Cairns. I'm very Thanks, disappointed Rachel. we didn't have a, a beer yeah, to okay. drink. Yeah, okay, tomorrow. Next yeah. time you'll have to bring <laughs> in a sample for us. Look, um, thank you again for your time. We have appreciated it. Um, if you've enjoyed this uh, talking tourism conversation, please do tell your tourism colleagues to take a listen to it. We're here every fortnight with um, some specific tourism-related topics, including chats with the champions of, of tourism. So, Thank you for that, Howard, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you in a fortnight. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism. Talking Tourism.